3: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
4: And I'm Julie Douglas.
3: The holidays are upon us, so of course we're talking about the science of uh, a couple of our favorite uh, holiday entities. Uh, We have an episode about Scrooge, and uh, this episode is about the Grinch.
4: That's right. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Is everybody familiar with that song?
3: They should be. Uh, This is another one that I, I feel like I watched and read it so many times as a child and then you know and then it's just all over pop culture and then they made that movie the less that's said about the better but still people are not that movie is old enough now that people are nostalgic about it that's worth <laughs> noting like that yeah. films like over a decade old now uh the the, uh, the jim carrey but for, for me it was always the old animated version that had boris carloff yeah uh, in it and uh in the book itself by the good uh dr seuss
4: yeah, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas is a great literary classic. In the song, You're a Mean when Mr. Grinch, performed by Thurl Ravenscroft.
3: Yeah, not Boris Karloff. Some people make right. a mistake. Boris Karloff did the voice of the Grinch, but not the singing yeah. voice.
4: And, yeah, and in fact, Thurl Ravenscroft also did the voice for Tony the Tiger. Uh, but we bring it all great. up because this is just great fodder.
3: Great like, fodder.
4: Yes, great fodder uh, to deconstruct the Grinch. That's our aim today, to find out what makes him tick mentally and physically, and also find out why he's so obsessed with stopping Christmas from coming to Whoville.
3: Indeed. Uh, you know, the, the basic scenario is, uh, it, it's very much like Scrooge in a sense. You know, the commercially old... Uh, uh, critter who uh who learns the true meaning of christmas and has a big change of heart you know it's a redemption story and all that um
4: but in the meantime can't be bothered with all those do goods and merrymakers
3: right and just can't stand can't stand the sound of them can't stand the idea that they are down there and decides well i'm just going to steal their christmas i'll take it away i'll go down there i'll dress as santa claus i'll take everything out of their houses their presents their food their the decorations on the walls like he just completely ravages their culture that's his uh, his thing. And then he's going to destroy it all. Right. But then something happens.
4: He has an epiphany and we'll get to that. This is another character that we're like, how did he get to that epiphany? Um, first, though, let's take a look at what the Grinch looks like. I mean, with his actual physical characteristics, as we're talking about a green fur clad primate.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of bipedal uh, critter. Now, I I do have questions about his primate status, uh, because, uh, the, uh, the world that we encounter in the Grinch, uh, the Who Dustback is, uh, is filled with some creatures that are just right, straight out of our world. There's mm-hmm. a dog, you know, there are mice. But then you have the primary, uh, residents seem to be the Who's who have an, uh, who are bipeds as well, but they have antenna. Mm-hmm. The Grinch doesn't have antenna, but I will note that he has very animated eyebrows and these two kind of horns of hair. Which leads me to believe that they might be antenna, they're simply covered in hair. That's just a, a loose theory.
4: That's true. It's hard to tell. I saw that little mop. I kept staring at that little mop, trying oh, to yeah. figure out if, the, what
3: could it be. In the animated version, there's that great scene where he gets the idea, uh, and, yes. it, and he smiles, and it's the most devious smile ever um, brought to the moving picture.
4: Now, from the Whoville Wikipedia, it states that mm-hmm. the Grinch is known to be of a different species than the who's being stated as a what? And moreover, huh. in the story the Grinch is described as being as strong as ten Grinches plus two, implying that perhaps a Grinch is its own species.
3: Hmm. But the Who's call him a what? That- how very how how very alienating of them to do that to to a Who? It's Who? It's tied up with your identity, right? In a what? That's that's very dehumanizing.
4: Well, c- keep a handle on that because okay. I feel like this will become important discussion fodder. Uh, for when we talk about epiphanies, now the the Grinch's constitution, as we all know, super grumpy, yes. antisocial, yes, neurotic, yes, aggressive, mm-hmm. depressive. You could even say vindictive, mm-hmm. and possibly even fulfilling a neurotic need for power by exploiting his companion Max the dog. Uh,
3: yeah, the the relationship between the Grinch and, and Max is uh. Is is perhaps a little uh, borderline abusive at times, but uh, but but he's a, you know it's a service animal. That's that's that's, a his, <laughs> that's his approach. Service
4: animal. Yeah, I don't see anything on there that says do not pet.
3: Well, it's implied. You know the the horn on the head, uh, uh-huh. his positioning in the front of the the sleigh. Like clearly, uh, you know the, the, the Grinch sees this as an animal that uh, aids him in his endeavors.
4: He makes a great foil. Max yes. does. Now the image of the Grinch. In that cave on a mountain top really brings to mind a yeti, or yes. better yet, another creature. And I'm talking about from the epic tale Beowulf,
3: Grendel. Yes, uh, this is uh, this is something I just keep thinking about uh, this Christmas season. I never thought of it before, uh, but it it's uh, it comes up every now and then. I'm, we're not the first people to uh, to talk about Grendel and Grinch as uh, very similar entities, because uh, you have one that's a cave dwelling monster that haunts the danish moors and the other lives uh within the microcosm of the hood dust speck. one one ends in bloodshed mm-hmm. the other in christmas cheer but both stories concern a lone outsider a uh, to quote the words of author uh, john uh, gardner who uh, who wrote the book grindel which is the story of beowulf and grindel from grindel's perspective uh the creature is, quote, a shadow shooter, an earth rim roamer, a walker of the world's weird wall, a perpetual outsider that is uh, that's barely even a part of the uh, the the world of man, or in this case, the world of the Who's.
4: Yeah, there's a sense of suffering there. And according to Courtney Shea writing for Humanities 360, she says the first and most apparent similarity between Grendel and the Grinch are their names. Both begin with a sound grin. The online etymology dictionary states that the Old English word grenien means to show the teeth in pain or anger. And in Old Norse, the word "krinja" means to
0: howl.
3: Indeed. Uh, and, and, you know, in both cases... The uh, the creature is is just really irritated by the noise and the Grinch, you mm-hmm. know, the noise, the noise, the noise. And in Beowulf uh, it uh, it is written, uh then the mighty war spirit endured for a season, bore it bitterly, he who bided in darkness, that light hearted laughter loud in the building greeted him daily. There was dulcet heart music, clear song of the singer. And uh and so Grendel sets out to uh, attack uh the uh, the mead hall of Herod. And uh, and it's important to know that you know, the mead hall here is the center of Danish uh, culture. Like he's striking at the heart of the Danes, mm-hmm. he's striking at their merriment. He's starting at the he's striking at the glue that holds them together through the dark winter, right? And uh, and and the Grinch is doing much of the same thing. He is striking at their Christmas. He is striking at their their central belief. And their central, uh, um, the the very heart of their culture.
4: Yes, there's the merriment, right? There's mm-hmm. the feasting, and when he attacks them, Grendel, they are asleep from their feasting, not unlike the who's who lay a snooze.
3: Exactly. Um, but it had had Cindy had Cindy Lou Dane, uh woken up and uh, wandered into the meat hall, mm-hmm. uh, she would have met with a very different
4: fate. I was going to say yeah. she would just be gulped down. There would be no discussion.
3: Oh, yes. Yeah, torn apart.
4: Now, the biggest difference, of course, is that Grendel's vengeance and hatred makes him incapable of connecting with anyone else, right? He's got different motivations, too.
3: Yeah, and, and some mother issues, I think, too. Don't we all? Yeah, and also, I'm you know, Beowulf is a bit of a jerk. Well. Yeah, so it's not like he, the, the Danes are not doing a great job of reaching out to Grendel.
4: Right, and so he's not going to have that epiphany like the Grinch. Right. Yeah. But nonetheless, there are so many similarities between the two. You can't help but mention them.
3: Indeed, yes. And and I would love to see uh, some sort of adaptation that combines these two in a a more uh, uh, festive uh, manner. All right, we're going to take a quick break on that note. And when we come back, we're going to discuss uh, the physiology of the Grinch because we know at least one crucial thing about it
5: from the trenches, we share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people, and we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's That's right.
3: All right, we're back.
7: We're back. And
4: uh, one of the distinguishing physiological features of the Grinch is, of course, that his heart is two sizes too small.
3: Yes. And this seems to be both uh, a physical and figurative uh, uh, situation for the most part from what we can tell. We have the little x-ray that comes into to frame and shows you that the heart is is literally too small. And also his love for his, uh, his fellow creatures seems to be somewhat lacking as well.
4: Indeed. So we look to the human world to try to explain some of the reasons why this may be so, at least on, on the physical level.
3: Yeah. Now, I do want to say one quick thing about why it is definitely a problem, because the Grinch is living at a very high altitude. Right. And uh, and so he's living in a low oxygen environment. So if he if his species, if you will, truly evolved to thrive at high altitudes, mm-hmm. then that species would boast slower development development. Delayed maturity, greater lung volume, and a larger heart. Uh, as pointed out in the book uh, *Essentials of Physical Anthropology*, we find all four of these attributes in lifelong high-altitude human residents. So, his heart is too small for his environment.
4: Well, especially if you consider that the Grinch and the Who's evolved convergently with one another, it's possible that the Grinch has a heart that is really better. Uh, adapted to um higher levels of oxygen which we'd find on the ground, right? Right. So it's it's hard to tell where this is coming from. It could be maybe the Grinch is actually at lower uh levels of altitude, but now as an outsider has decided to live on this mountaintop and he's therefore been pushed out
3: by the Who's
4: Yes, he's been excommunicated by the Who's mm-hmm. and now here he is with his heart two sizes too small to deal with the lack of oxygen, the high altitudes.
3: Okay, I like this theory and it plays into some other arguments I'm going to make later in the podcast concerning the origins of the Grinch. But uh, another idea, maybe that's not a Grinch heart in his chest. Maybe oh, yeah. it is a who heart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because in, in, <laughs> indeed, uh, when it comes to uh, human heart transplant transplantation, um, underside replatem- replacements are, uh, are certainly an issue of concern uh because you you know you when it when it comes to heart availability mm-hmm. you're not always able to to match up everything perfectly you know you're you're matching across genders um you know ultimately across different people so sometimes the heart is a is a bit smaller than it would ideally be for that chest cavity
4: yeah and what you're describing is actually called the grinch syndrome in some cases it is uh, a postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and <laughs>
3: It sounds it's, like one of the things the who's gets uh, on Christmas morning, one of the instruments.
4: It is, yeah. actually. Um, and uh, most patients have a heart that is, indeed, two sizes too small, and this affects about 500,000 Americans, primarily young women. So, again, this is something that is really taken into consideration when you are looking at donors.
3: So if this were the case, uh, you could imagine that uh, in all that junk up there on, in the mountain, on the top of Mount Crumpet, uh Perhaps the Grinch has uh, some sort of a automated surgical theater that uh, performed this procedure once upon a time.
4: And why not? I mean, he has a sewing machine. It's
3: true. It's true. Uh, perhaps Max has uh, has a skill set uh, that uh, we were just not privy to uh, in the book or in the, the film. Or, uh, or perhaps the Who's did it themselves before they shunned him and pushed him up to the top of a mountain
4: in any case <laughs> you put someone up there with a heart that's much too small for that altitude you're going to get some dizziness you're going ge- to get some very unclear thinking you're going to get a lot of crabbiness
3: yeah it's going to definitely uh, i think contribute to his uh, his ill demeanor
4: indeed now not a lot is known about his actual ears um perhaps they're situated underneath all of that f- that fur mm-hmm. that's cladding his body but it could be that he's just highly sensitive to noise. And we know that the human ear canal actually amplifies noises in the range of 2,000 to 5,000 hertz. Um, so that's why I like uh, things like knives, scraping plates, or nails on a chalkboard are so terrible sounding because they inhabit that range and they kind of ricochet around in the ear canal. So could it be that all that merriment, all, all of that singing is occupying that same space.
3: It could be it's hitting the sweet spot uh for him or the uh the sour spot as it were.
4: Well the noise 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 that's the one thing he hated.
3: Yeah. Yeah and that's ultimately the, I mean that's that's what makes him decide, "Hey, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to cut this noise out." All those fancy bells and whistles they get Christmas morning. I'm going to k- get take rid of take care of that and that singing they do, there's going to be no cause for that either because <laughs> I'm stealing everything.
4: That's right because when I am perched atop my mountain, particularly on the edge, and I'm really like leaning down to hear. Mm-hmm. I know that sound is reflecting off of really hard surfaces like rock, water, or ice. Right. And I'm that Grinch, and I'm mad about this. And that's to say nothing about what's going on inside that cave.
3: Indeed, if you think of the uh, the ear canal as as amplifying sound, uh, essentially the cave that the uh, that the Grinch is in is another ear canal.
4: It is. I mean, because if you you look at it, there's hard surfaces that are surrounding the Grinch, perfect for amplifying sound since any noise that would appear to enter the cave or that was made inside of it would bounce off the cave walls and then would be picked up by the ears. And in this sense, there's a twin to each noise, a kind of shadow noise.
3: And this gets into a really interesting uh, area of research called archaeoacoustics. Um, one of the, the main guys behind all of this is uh, U.S. researcher, Stephen Waller, uh, and he's looked uh, extensively at uh, at Lascaux caves in France. These are you know, ancient caves, mm-hmm. cave art on the sides, you know, animals, uh, that, that kind of thing. And he believes that the echoes of ritual clapping outside of those caves would have sounded like hundreds of hooves drumming on the ground. So he thinks mm-hmm. that the the, the the design of the caves, the positioning of the art, all of that. Um, it is, uh, is orchestrated with the sound amplification, uh, in mind.
4: Yeah, these kind of sound illusions that come from it. And we were talking earlier, you think that perhaps the hooves might be behind this, yes?
3: Yeah, I, it, it does make me think that. Um, you know, Weller pointed out, quote, ancient mythology explains echoes from the mouths of caves as replies from spirits. So our ancestors may have made cave paintings in response to these echoes and their belief that echo spirits inhabited rocky places such as caves or canyons. Uh, so taking this, thinking about the Grinch, thinking about the Grinch as a creature that has been shunned and even placed there by the Who's, mm-hmm. perhaps they also, uh, created this cave so that, uh, whoever's occupying that, cra- that cave, uh, whoever is the Grinch, mm-hmm. will steadily be driven mad by the amplified sounds of merriment far below. Um, and, and I'll, and I'll, I'll, uh, uh, talk more about this as we, we progress, but it's all part of my theory that the Grinch, um, has an important, crucial even, role to play, an uh, annual role to play in the culture of the Whos.
4: Well, in this sense, he's kind of like the Krampus, the, the anti clause, right? So we'll talk about this a little bit more in the Epiphanies uh, discussion. But what I think is interesting is here he is sequestered away, completely isolated. Perhaps mm-hmm. um he is experiencing these sound illusions and going a little bit mad from it. Now, the isolation aspect of this, I think, is a really big deal. Um, We should take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about Grinch on his lonely mountain top.
0: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School Podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
6: In my best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my
3: mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't
6: and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Defect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Right, right, right.
3: All right, we're back. So there's the Grinch up in his cave up on Mount Crumpet, far, far, far from the Who civilization down below. Um, it would seem that he is in you know, he would be in a, a very splendid uh uh, area of isolation that he would be far from uh, from any of the the sounds that might bother him.
4: No, not no. at all. We we tend to think that we talked about this in our episode, Splendid Isolation. This idea that if you could just get some quiet and isolation, and maybe you could even live like one year completely isolated, mm-hmm. that you could finally sort of unwind and and let you the the flowers of your brain bloom. But no. <laughs> What happens is that those flowers get all sort of choked together and die off because you're not having those sort of um, connections with people and associations that you need, that your brain craves.
3: Yeah, I mean, you end up talking to a dog dressing like Santa Claus and uh, and breaking into houses.
4: Indeed. According to researcher John Cacioppo at the University of Chicago, 20% of all people are unhappy because of social isolation at any given moment. So he wanted to know, hey, what's going on? in the minds of these folks who are isolated and they're unhappy. And he recruited volunteers to look at some photos while undergoing FMRI. Now, this is this has a, such an interesting twist to it. Um, some of the participants had been identified as having an acute sense of social isolation, and some were just, you know, healthy volunteers that they had screened. Now, both groups viewed a series of images, some with positive connotations, like a happy couple doing Fun, happy things, and others with negative associations such as scenes of human conflict. Now, when the two groups watched pleasant imagery, the area of the brain that recognizes rewards showed a significantly greater response in non-lonely people than in lonely people. Similarly, the visual cortex of lonely subjects responded much more strongly to unpleasant images of people than to unpleasant images of objects. This suggests that the intention of lonely people may be especially drawn to human conflict. And that what's interesting about this is that the normally subjects showed no difference here. So it was the the lonely subjects who were particularly taken with these scenes of conflict.
3: And this this instantly brings to mind an image of someone who's isolated themselves uh, inside of their apartment and they're just watching nothing but, uh, but cable news over and over again. And yelling yeah. at it. Yeah, and yelling at it. Just glutting themselves on conflict and engaging with the conflict and, and really feeling a lot of stress. Um, there's a 2007 study from, uh, University of Illinois at Chicago College of Medicine and they reported that the anxiety and aggression that result from social isolation trace to altered levels, uh, of an enzyme that controls the production of a brain hormone. Uh, the, the, in, the two enzymes in, in this case are needed for the production of allopregnanoline, a, a brain hormone that acts to reduce stress through regulation of GABA, uh, an important uh, neurotransmitter. So the suggestion here is that uh, increased levels of isolation, mm-hmm. it's going to impact your ability to roll with stress and regulate your own stress on a, uh, on, on a, on a, on a neurological scale.
4: Right, and um, one of the ways that you might deal with stress is to communicate with others, right? To right. unburden yourself. And again, he does not have that luxury. Well, he has Max. He has Max, he has- but Max seems, and 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 rightly so, a bit reserved.
3: Yes, yeah. Max does not speak, despite being a a, a cartoon storybook dog. Mm-hmm. Um, he merely just rolls with the punches.
4: Yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about the dysfunctional families. This would be the, the lost child, right? The <laughs> yeah. one that recedes to the shadows because he's like, forget it. I don't <laughs> want to raise the hackles of the Grinch. But, you know, the, I think the stage is pretty well set here that you have this, this creature who is tormented, um, auditorily mm-hmm. tormented, um, and uh, psychologically tormented. And as a result, perhaps having a mental breakdown. Now, in the BBC documentary alone, The Brain, Sensory Deprivation, and Isolation, six people were deprived of sensory input. Uh, they were essentially put in solitary confinement for about 48 hours. And one of the findings is that at around hour 30, people began to pace back and forth. And a lot of people who are looking at the footage said this is a lot like animals in captivity. And perhaps one of the reasons why they're doing this is that they're trying to create some sort of sensory input for their brains because we've talked about this before. This is one of the reasons why you can't be isolated for a long time. Your brain needs something to gnaw and It needs a bone, and a lot of time, other people are those bones. And again, if you if you have someone who has sequestered themselves and your brain isn't getting the sort of input that it Wouldn't would be. normally get, the unconscious has very little information to play with. And to mold into a story, and that story of I, you know, we've talked about this—the the the me, the who I am—and that's when you begin to see some some aspects of mental breakdown. Sometimes, because there isn't that cohesive uh, sense of self that's bolstered by others or even mirrored by other people around you.
3: All right, so the Grinch, this uh, this miserable creature, uh, driven half mad by the the merriment of the Who's. Finally breaks, finally snaps, dresses up like Santa Claus, descends down on Christmas night while the Who's are asleep in their beds, steals just about everything, even raids the refrigerator, packs it all up on the sleigh, takes it up, and he's about to, to dump it, right? He's about to just throw it into the abyss and uh, and wish him a Merry Christmas.
4: But he's waiting. Remember, he's he's waiting on that ledge. He's waiting for them to wake up and realize that all of their little goodies have been stolen from them.
3: Right. That's the ultimate reward, more so than just the the material theft uh, involved here. He wants to break them, to break who culture itself and just send them into despair.
4: The problem is, of course, is that when he's he's got his hand up to his ear and he's listening really hard, he doesn't hear sobbing. He doesn't hear the this is terrible retching noises of broken who's. Mm-hmm. He hears this unified chorus, this beautiful lilting song that that comes up to him and makes him realize that all of his expectations have been violated. And this is what allows him at this very moment to, to go in one of two ways. Mm-hmm. Either he can have this sort of cognitive dissonance, right? In which his violations or his his expectations are violated and he doesn't know what to do with that. And so he doubles down on a sort of cognitive bias and tries to explain it away and say, oh, no, they're still materialist. Mm -hmm. They're still terrible. Or he can accept that there's cognitive dissonance and he can accept that there's an alternate take to the who's and to Christmas, that is not just about materialism, but perhaps something more.
3: Hmm. And that makes all the difference. He has this change of heart. He brings everything back to them. He celebrates with them. He's, he's, he's brought into who culture. He's no longer an outsider, or at least for this one night, he's not an outsider. And uh, he joins in the feast. He cuts the roast beast for crying out loud.
4: He does. And again, this, this, this sort of sea change is all predicated on his epiphany moment that it's connections with people that matter. And that's what the who's, uh, were celebrating when it came to Christmas, not necessarily their stuff. But these do, these guys, the who's do not get out of this unscathed.
3: Right. It's easy to look at the story and say, oh, well, the Who's are such a noble people that uh, even though all their presents and their food was gone, they still went out there and were happy because they're ultimately happy and good at heart. But we would argue that they felt this. They made this. This was a realization for the Who's because the Grinch stole all their stuff, because the Grinch took away all their material possessions, mm-hmm. of, of, of which they had way too many to begin
4: with. Yeah. Yeah. Um According to Chad Orzel in his article on science blogs, How Strong Was the Grinch? Each of the 33 who's in Whoville were getting about 3,030 kilograms or about 6,000 pounds of stuff on Christmas. And Orzel based his calculations on pixels and what they might represent in <laughs> terms of real world dimensions and mass, including that, that sleigh. Um, so that would lead us to believe that maybe those who's w- were, were, just empty husks trying to stuff themselves with things before the Grinch came along and delivered uh, an epiphany to them.
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it—you it, know—clearly they're way overdoing it. They're indulging in just rampant materialism, and then the Grinch comes, takes it away, and gives them the space to realize what's important most. So, in this, I would—I would argue that the, the Grinch plays a crucial role in the Who's. If not for that, that Christmas, mm-hmm. but perhaps every Christmas, perhaps the Grinch comes every Christmas to the Who's and is part of their, their winter, uh, festival. Okay. Uh, you know, the great green god on the mountain that, that comes down and takes away your, your, your material, uh, possessions so that you may see what's most important.
4: So this is like the passion play for the Who's?
3: Yeah, like maybe, yeah, and, it, and I think so. If the, if the Grinch doesn't come, then you end up just drowning in your own materialism and you're, you know, freezing through the winter.
4: And the Grinch himself might say, yes, I will participate in these festivities and pretend to be terrible and awful, and 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 I can recreate that epiphany, that or, moment.
3: Or you take a creature and you replace its heart, and you stick it into a specially designed cave on the top of the mountain <laughs> so that it will uh, play uh, a role in your uh, your necessary festival year after year after year.
4: Wow. Maybe the Grinch... Isn't even real. Like maybe that's a Grinch costume that one of the Who's has Ooh. to wear as sort of like the sacrificial Grinch for the year.
3: Yeah, it's just kind of this supernatural uh, entity that everyone believes in, and you sort of you, you partake in the passion play of the thing.
4: That is somehow more believable than um, than positing that the Who's heart grew two sizes that day when he had the epiphany, uh, simply because some sort of genetic switch went off between the, the who's and the what's
3: yeah I, I have no explanation for why his heart would literally grow two sizes and allow um, you know better absorption of oxygen but
4: that just reminded me too uh, now he's more of a who and then a what, which is sort of that whole uh, underlying basis of what we were talking about earlier like how how terrible to be a what instead of a who and, and he made his way back to his who-ness by connecting with his fellow species
3: now that's, that's some rich stuff there yeah, it That's is. Seuss. He really knew, knew what he was doing.
4: An intuitive psychologist.
3: Yeah, I think so.
4: Yeah. Alrighty, guys. We hope that you enjoyed our presentation of the Grinch as well as Scrooge. And uh, if you want to check out more of what we're doing, you can do so at StuffToBlowYourMind.com.
3: That's right. You'll find all the podcast episodes, including various holiday uh, episodes we've done over the years, right there. You'll find blog posts, videos, uh, and some of those are holiday-oriented. We'll try and uh, promote those on the, the front page there for you to check out. Uh, and also, you'll find links out to the various social media accounts we use in case you want to follow us on Facebook or Twitter or Tumblr or what have you.
4: And if you have any uh, sauerkraut sandwiches with a side of arsenic sauce thoughts that you want to send to us, you can do so by emailing us at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com